So John chapter 5. Now remember, we've already done the first few chapters, and we've seen that um, Jesus has finally started doing signs and wonders. John 5, uh, verse 1. Later on, there was a Jewish festival, a feast, for which Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem a pool near, near the Sheep Gate. This pool in Hebrew is called Bethsheda, having five porches, a cloves, colonnades, doorways. So there are five entrances into this pool called Bethsheda. Verse 3. In these lay a great number of sick folk, some blind, some crippled, some paralyzed, waiting for the bubbling up of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at an appointed season to the pool and moved and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was cured of whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now I'm reading from the Amplified Version, if you're wondering. So some of the words may be different from what you have. Verse 5. And there was a certain man who had been suffering with a deep-seated and lingering disorder for 38 years. When Jesus, when Jesus no, noticed him lying there, knowing he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you want to become well? Are you really in earnest about getting healed? The invalid answered, Sir, I have nobody when the water is moving to put me into the pool. But while I am trying to come into it myself, somebody else steps down ahead of me. You notice that even though he had not been healed for 38 years, he kept trying. He kept moving, trying to get where God was to receive the healing. I think sometimes that is a key to receiving healing. Verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your bed, your sleeping pad, and walk. Instantly, the man became well and recovered his strength and picked up his bed and walked. But that happened on the Sabbath. So the Jews kept saying to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and you have no right to pick up your bed. It is not lawful. And he answered them, The man who healed me and gave me back my strength, he said to me, Pick up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who told you, Pick up your bed and walk? Verse 13. Now the invalid who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had quietly gone away. He had passed unnoticed since, the crowd, since there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, when Jesus found him in the temple, he said to him, See, you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. To me, that's remarkable. He had only been healed, on the, and on the same day, he was in danger of sinning. This is where we understand that sometimes sickness, especially when it comes back upon us when we've been healed, is a result of a sin. Not always, but sometimes. I believe that Jesus did this 
because he was trying to shake up his, you know, God's people. They had become so set in legality and their righteousness through their actions that they had forgotten to listen to God. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews began to persecute, annoy, and torment Jesus and sought to kill him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has work even until now. He has never ceased working and he is still working. And I too must be at divine work. Verse 18, this made the Jews more determined than ever to kill him, to do away with him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath and violating it, but he was actually speaking of God as being, in a special sense, his own father, making himself equal, putting himself on a level with God. Verse 19, so Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you, I most solemnly tell you, the son is able to do nothing of himself of his own accord, but he is able to do only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does is what the son does in the same way. The father dearly loves the son and discloses and shows him everything that he himself does. And he will disclose to him and let him see greater things yet than these. So that you may marvel and be full of wonder and astonishment. Just as the father raises up the dead and gives them life and makes them live on. Even so the son also give to whomever he wills and is pleased to give it. Even the father judges no one for he has given all judgment and this is referring to the very last judgment at the end of this, at the time and the whole business over to the son, entirely into the hands of the son. Just by the way, <laughs> this is why Jesus contends for us in the courts. He is the one who intercedes. And at the end of time, he's the one who has the book, the Lamb's book of life where our names are written. It's up to him. Verse 23, so that all men may give honor, revere, and homage, homage to the Son, just as they give honor to the Father. In fact, whoever does, does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I assure you, I most solemnly tell you, the person whose ears are open to my words who listens to my message and believes and trusts and clings to and relies on me and him who sent me possesses now eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, nor does he incur, incur the sentence of death or condemnation, but he has already passed over out of death into life. This is how we apply the judgment that Jesus has been given. He judges, judges all thing and things, and by him, eternal life, the judgment that would lead to eternal life, has been placed. His hands have that. So we have to look for the main topic in a passage to see how to apply it. 
We cannot apply it, out, uh, apply it outside of that passage accurately. So Jesus has been given into his hands all judgment for who should live forever and who will not. It's only through him and through believing in him that we receive eternal victory. Verse 25. Believe me when I assure you, I most solemnly tell you, the time is coming and is here now when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it shall live. For even as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, so he has given to the Son to have life in himself and be self-existent. And he has given to him the authority and granted him power to execute precise judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be surprised and wonder at this, for the time is coming when all those who are in the tombs shall hear his voice. 29. And they shall come out, those who have practiced doing good, will come out to the resurrection of the new life, and those who have done evil will be raised for judgment and raised to meet their sentence. You notice he didn't say he would make that judgment at the end of time that they will be raised to judgment. The judgment he gives is who gets eternal life. Now, um, and this happens after the thousand-year reign. Remember, we're going through the book of Revelations. In order to apply this correctly, you have to go all the way through the entire Bible, not until the very end, one of the last chapters, <laughs> do you understand when this judgment will happen. And we'll see that in our studies, which is pretty cool. That, But... You notice he says that the time will soon come, <laughs> and it's 2,000 years later. It still hasn't happened. Just saying, God's soon and our soon is not the same thing. <laughs> okay, let's continue. I'm able to do nothing of myself, independently of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God as I get his orders. Even as I hear, I judge, I decide, and I am bidden to decide. You see, he doesn't decide who to forgive, when to forgive. He listens to God, gets the information from God, then makes the judgment call. It's not his will, he's enacting God's will upon this earth. And as the voice comes to me, so I give the decision. And my judgment is right and just because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of my Father who sent me. If I alone testify in my behalf, my testimony is not valid and cannot be worth anything. There is another who testifies concerning me, and I know and I'm certain that his evidence on my behalf is true and valid. Now, in the Amplified Version, another who um, is in all caps, meaning it is the name of the Holy Spirit, one of the names of God. So if you go back to the original Greek, there must be some added symbols or letters or something there indicating that it's connected to God and the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's continue. Verse 33. I might have to let Lydia read these chapters again. 
I can't seem to stop making comments. Okay, let's continue. Uh, you yourselves have sent an inquiry to John, and he has been a witness to the truth. John the Baptist was the witness of the Lord. But I do not receive a mere human witness. The evidence which I accept on my behalf is not from man. But I simply mention all these things in order that you may be saved and be made and kept safe and sound. John was the lamp that kept on burning and shining to show you the way. And you were willing for a while to delight to sun yourselves in his light. But I have... As my witness, something greater, weightier, heavier, higher, and better than John. For the works of the Father has appointed me to accomplish and finish the very same works that I am now doing. Our witness and proof that the Father has sent me. Now remember, the reason why there are certain healings recorded, it's, it was because it was the proof that he was the Messiah. There were three things they said only the Messiah could do. They could, only the Messiah could heal somebody from leprosy. Only the Messiah could heal somebody born deaf and dumb from birth. And only uh, the Messiah could heal a man lame from birth. So we see all these miracles recorded in the life of Jesus because this was the proof of which he was talking about here. And those being very learned of God should have known this. Okay, verse 38. And you have not his word, his thought living in your hearts, because you do not believe and hear to and trust and rely on him who has sent me. That is why you do not keep his message living in you, because you do not believe in the messenger whom he has sent. You search and investigate and pour over the scriptures diligently, because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And these very scriptures testify about me. And still you're not willing, but refuse to come to me so that you might have life. I receive not glory from man. I crave no human honor. I look for no mortal fame. Verse 42. But I know you and recognize and understand that you have not the love of God in you. I have come in my father's name and with his power and you do not receive me. Your hearts are not open to me. You do not give me welcome. But if another comes in his own name and his own power and with no other authority but himself, you will receive him and give him your approval. Well, we know who that will be after studying the book of Revelation. Verse 44. How is it possible for you to believe? How can you learn to believe you who are content to seek out and receive praise and honor and glory from one another? And yet do not seek the praise and honor and glory which come from him who alone is God. Put out of your minds and thoughts and do not suppose, as some of you are supposing, that I will accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you, it is Moses, the very one on whom you have built your hopes and whom you trust. 46. For if you believed in and relied on Moses, you would believe in and rely on me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe and trust in his writings, how then will you believe and trust in my teachings? 
Wow, that was a very long discourse from our Lord. That was all of chapter 5. Much of it was Jesus trying to talk to the leaders of his days who were not um, taking him seriously. They, they liked having all, according to what this says, power. They liked having all the power and glory and honor for themselves. They were patting each other on the back. Oh, you're do- doing such a great job. Instead of looking for glory and honor from God. What a sad state. Can you see that we're almost in that state? We're kind of in that state here today. Okay, John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd was following him because they had seen the signs, miracles, which he was continually performing upon those who were sick. And Jesus walked up the mountainside and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was approaching. Jesus looked up then and seeing that the vast multitude was coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? But he said this to prove and to test him, for he well knew what he was about to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennies, that's forty dollars worth of bread, is not enough that every one should receive even a little. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a little boy here who has with him five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make all the people recline and sit down. Now the ground of the pasture was covered with thick grass at that spot, so the men threw themselves down, about 5,000 in number. Often with God, he will give you an instruction and tell you to do something before there is a miracle that he performs. Now think about how, how much time this would take. There's 5,000 people, and they, they're supposed to be divided up and to be set down in order. If you've ever tried to organize that many people, you know it takes time. Now, verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to the reclining people. So also did he did with the fish as much as they wanted. And when they all had enough, he said to his disciples, gather up now the fragments, the broken pieces that are left over, so nothing may be lost or wasted. So accordingly, they gathered them up, and they filled twelve small hand baskets with fragments left over from those who had eaten the five barley loaves. Verse 14, And when the people saw the sign and miracle that Jesus had performed, they began saying, Surely and beyond doubt, this is the prophet who is to come into the world, Messiah. Then Jesus, knowing that they meant to come and seize him, that they might take him, uh, make him king, he withdrew again to the hillside by himself alone. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and they took a boat and went across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and still Jesus had not yet come back to them. Meanwhile, the sea was getting rough and rising high because of a great and violent wind that was blowing. Verse 19, 
However, when they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, approaching the boat, and they were afraid. But Jesus said to them, It is I, be not afraid. The words here in the new or in the amplified said say I am, meaning that's the name of God. He basically said, uh, you know, he said the name of God, which they revered. Um, Stop being frightened is a closer translation to what was being said. Then they were quite willing and glad for him to come into the boat. Now the boat went at once to the land and they steered um, land they had steered towards. And immediately they reached the shore, which they had been slowly making their way. It's awesome. You know, I find that's true in life. When God is in your boat, when God is in, in the business with you, you make quick progress. You can struggle and struggle towards your destiny, almost getting nowhere, making very slow progress. But the moment that you connect with the Lord and you're doing what he tells you to do, all of a sudden you make very fast progress. Verse 22, and the next day, the crowd that still remained standing on the other side of the sea realized that there, that there had only been one small boat there and that Jesus had not gone into it with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away by themselves. But now there, now some of the other boats from Tiberias had come in near the place where they ate and the bread, they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So the people, finding that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into a small boats and they came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Boy, did they pursue him. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that great? They're like, oh, wait, he's gone. Where did he go? Let's go follow him. This is verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, I assure you, most solemnly tell you, you have been searching for me, not because you saw miracles and signs, but because you were fed with the loaves and you were filled and satisfied. Stop toiling and doing and producing for the food that perishes and decomposes, but strive and work and, and produce rather for the lasting food which endures continually into eternal life. The Son of Man will give or furnish you that. For God, the Father, has authorized and certified him and put his seal of endorsement upon him. <laughs> so, so the Lord is <clears throat> calling them out, right? He's telling them, oh, you only came here because you got free food. You know, and, and that's what you're looking for. And you want to figure out how to produce and, and get food. He said, but instead, you should be working towards the eternal kingdom. Remember, God created each of us for a destiny. And all of us working together towards our destiny, that is when God moves big upon this earth. But it takes all of us, not just one big pastor, not just, you know, one group. It's all members of the body of Christ working together as his body. Okay, verse 28. Then, or they then said, what are we to do that we may habitually be working the works of God? What are we do to carry out what God requires? I'm betting many of you are thinking the same thing. Well, gosh, I have to have a nine-to-five job. I have to feed my family. What does God expect of me, right? 
Jesus replied, This is the work, the service that God asks of you, that you believe in the one whom he has sent, that you cleave to, you trust, you rely on, and you have faith in his messenger. You notice it's not just, oh, I believe Jesus is the son of God. You have to cleave to him. You have to rely on him. You have to trust that he's got all your answers. Verse 30. Therefore they said to him, what sign or miracle work will you perform then so we may see it and believe and rely and hear to you? What supernatural work have you to show what you can do? Did he just not feed 5,000 people with a little tiny loaf? Yo, come on, people. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, verse 31. Our forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As the scripture says, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, I most solemnly tell you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. What Moses gave you was not the bread from heaven. But it was my father who gives you the true heavenly bread. Now in that um, paragraph, bread is capitalized, meaning he's referring to himself. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is where we see Jesus is the bread. They then said to him, Lord, give us this bread always, all the time. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. And he who believes in and cleaves to and trusts in relies on me, will never be thirsty anymore. Remember, he's speaking metaphorically. He is the bread of life. If he, and he's saying that if you come to me, your spirit will be satisfied. So he's talking in a spiritual manner here. Verse 36. But as I told you, although you have seen me, you still not, do not believe and trust and have faith. Verse 37, all of whom my father gives and trusts to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will most certainly not cast out. I will never, no, never reject of them who comes to me. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven and do not do my own will and purposes, but the will and purposes of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose any that he has given me, but I should give new life and raise them all up at the last day. Verse 40. For this is my father's will and his purpose, that everyone who sees the son and believes in and cleaves to and trusts and relies on him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up from the dead on that very last day. Now Jesus, where it says at that, I will raise him up from dead at the last day. 41. Now the Jews murmured and found fault with and grumbled about Jesus because he said, I myself am the bread that comes down from heaven. They kept asking, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose, whose father and mother we know? How then can he say, I came down from heaven? So Jesus answered them, stop grumbling and saying, uh, saying things against me to one another. No one is able to come to me unless my father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. And then I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. 
It is written in the book of the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God and have in him um, have him in person for their teacher. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Verse 46. Which does not imply that anyone has seen the Father, not that anyone has ever seen him, except he who comes from God. He alone has seen the Father. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, he who believes in, adheres to, trusts and relies on me and has faith in me has now eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. Verse 50. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and never die. I myself am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And also the bread that I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh, my body. Remember, that's why we take communion. We take the bread and we say, this is the body of Jesus. Verse 52. Then the Jews angrily contended with one another, saying, How is he able to give us his flesh to eat? <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, I assure you, I most solemnly tell you, that you cannot have any life in you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. That means to appropriate his life and the saving merit of his blood. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood and has possessed eternal life. And I will raise him up from the dead on the last day. For my flesh is true and genuine food. My blood is true and genuine drink. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood dwells continually in me and I in him. Verse 57. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live by and through and because of the Father, even so, whoever continues to feed on me, whoever takes me for his food and his nourish nourishment, shall in his turn live through and because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna from which our, your forefathers ate and yet died. He who takes this bread for his food shall live forever. He said these, uh, verse 59, he said these things in the synagogue while he was teaching at Capernaum. Verse 60, when his disciples heard this, many of them said, this is hard and difficult and strange saying, it's kind of offensive and an unbearable message. Who can stand to hear it? Who can expect to listen to such teaching? Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing within himself that his disciples were complaining and protesting and grumbling about it, he said to them, Is this a stumbling block and offense to you? Does this upset and displease you and shock and scandalize you? 62. What then will be your reaction if you should see the Son of Man ascending to the place where he was before? Verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. He is the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit whatsoever. There is no profit. The words that I have been speaking to you are spirit and life. But still, some of you fail to believe in, trust in, and have faith. For Jesus knew 
that from the first who did not believe and who had no faith and who would betray him and be false to him. Remember, Jesus had to speak in parables. He said that it was his job to speak and not be understood before he rose from the dead. Before he, his whole ministry um, was based uh, largely on parables, and it was so that they would not recognize him as Messiah. It was important that he be rejected. There were um, prophecies about it. It was the Jews had to reject him so he could come to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. And so these things that he said, he put them in para parables and metaphors because he knew that it would be impossible for them to understand or very difficult until after he rose again. Okay, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples drew back. They returned to their old associations and no longer accompanied him. Look at that. See, that was a test. He said really hard, challenging, difficult, offensive things. He put things in the worst possible way as a test. Who would hold to him and who wouldn't? Verse 67. Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? Do you desire to leave me? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words, the message of eternal life. And we have learned to believe and trust. And more, we have come to know surely that you are the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil, an evil one, a false accuser. He was speaking, of course, of Judas, the son of Simon, Ick, um, I, can't, I can't remember how to pronounce the name, Iscariot, Iscariot, for he was about to betray him, although he was one of the twelve. Okay, that is our reading for today. Wow, chapter six was very interesting, wasn't it? Chapter six shows how... The Lord put um, words out and spoke in such a way that it would, be e it would be easy to misunderstand him. He was speaking in parables, and only those who really trusted in and relied upon him, only those who truly believed, held on. Everybody who was only just looking for the good thing, was looking, you know, they had been fed free food. Only those people left. His true disciples stayed. And it was to fulfill the prophecies in the, in the Old Testament. God is good. He gives us his word. He fulfills his word. All we have to do is keep searching for him. And sometimes we have to hold on. Sometimes God does things in our lives that we don't understand why it's happening. He speaks to us in ways that we don't quite understand. And it's important to cling to and know that Jesus is our answer, right? That even if we don't understand what he's just said, even if we find it hard to grasp, if we'll hold on to him, in the end, he will show us. Does that make sense? It's, it's a journey. 